A worker is in critical condition after apparent workplace accident at a Toronto airport hotel. A member of the Ontario Provincial Police was charged with criminal harassment back in November, but journalists only got wind of it last week. Quebec vows to clamp down on Airbnb. The deal to close Roxham Road was actually signed in secret a year ago. And who is Yoav Gallant, Israel's recently fired Minister of Defence? Good morning. It's Monday, March 27th. I'm Nora, and here are your headlines. A worker was found with no vital signs at the Residence Inn in Rexdale, Ontario, near the intersection of Dixon and Atwell. This is near Pearson Airport. 911 was called after 9 a.m. yesterday morning. CBC has been told that it was a possible workplace injury. The worker was transported to hospital and is in critical condition. There's no further information about what happened in the CBC report. Now to Sudbury, where OPP Sergeant André Chenier has been charged with criminal harassment. An article that appeared on Friday at CTV says that he had been charged on November 2nd and was put on modified duties thereafter. He was charged by the Sudbury Police, though he works for the Nipissing West Detachment. Their office is about halfway between Sudbury and North Bay. The article dutifully reminds the reader that the charge has not yet been proven in court. This might not normally stick out of an article, except that this article is only six sentences long. Chenier is, quote, currently off on an unrelated leave, unquote, the article says. Now, with so few details in this article, I thought I should look around online and see if I can find anything out about Chenier. Aside from him posing for a ride holiday photo, there was very little about him online. Though, if he was charged back on November 2nd, that is a lot of time to remove references to him by various official accounts. In 2022, he made $155,000. That was salary down from the year before, although his salary jumped by 16% in 2020. That jump might have had something to do with him moving posts, as he was listed as a sergeant of the South Porcupine OPP in July 2020 in a media release about safe boating. Just to give you an idea of where all these places are, South Porcupine Detachment is for Timmins, which is about three and a half hours north of where the the Nipissing West Detachment would be. I mean, three hours by the way the crow flies. You can't really drive straight from one end to the other. Anyway, in 2018, Chenier won a life-saving award from the South Porcupine OPP. So I don't know. It seems weird that CTV only got wind of this like last week when he was actually in court rather than getting it four months ago when he was charged and had time to go on leave for an unrelated reason. I mean, come on. But there you go. Some information for you about that. Now to Montreal for an update on the fire that happened last week at a historical building in Montreal's old port. While seven people were killed, only five bodies have been recovered. They still haven't found the last two people. The Quebec government and the city of Montreal have been talking, though, about how they plan to better crack down on illegal Airbnb rentals. On Friday, Airbnb said that they would pull listings that don't have a government permit number. 
All listings in Quebec will have to have the permit number that is associated with the location as is required by the Tourism Accommodation Act. And the company will give the province, quote, access to the Airbnb portal, a tool that it says helps communities enforce rules and understand its local footprint, as reported by Siddhartha Banerjee with the Canadian press. Now, I'll just mention Quebec is a little bit different than other parts of Canada where this stuff really is managed by the province. It hasn't all been downloaded to the cities, which is why the province is playing a role that I think a lot of people would assume the cities would be playing. Tourism Minister Carolyn Pru said that she's quote unquote satisfied with a meeting that she had with two Airbnb reps on Friday. They had said that they would agree to comply with the government legislation. Plus, Pru promises to make other changes to the law as well. But let's be clear. While renting out illegal units remains a problem that Airbnb has, the fact that this location also violated fire code and other regulations has nothing to do with Airbnb and has everything to do with thin enforcement measures. Former tenants of the building owned by Emile Benamour have been saying that they felt that this place is a fire trap or was a fire trap when they lived there. Former tenants described labyrinthine halls, no exit signs or fire alarms that were either missing or very sketchy. The unit boasted 15 Airbnbs, even though there aren't allowed to be any in the old port. So at some level, if the city or the province could open up Airbnb, the website, and see how many illegal places were operating at any given time and then did nothing, blaming Airbnb on this is pretty silly. Like... There are parts of my city that are totally off limits for Airbnb as well, unless you're renting out your own personal apartment. But I mean, I've just checked and I can see that there are 41 places available to rent in two weeks for a weekend in the neighborhood just next door to mine, where you can't actually have any Airbnbs unless it's your own personal private residence. This isn't exactly rocket science. The government just has not been taking this seriously. That information from former tenants comes from a CBC piece by Benjamin Shingler and Sarah Levitt at CBC Montreal. Now, rewind a decade to May 2013. Ben Shingler's byline is on another piece, this time for the Canadian press, titled Quebec Investigates 2,000 People for Allegedly Operating Unregistered B&Bs. And the first sentence of that article talks about how for $40 a night, you could sleep in a, quote, art-filled loft not far from the city's old port, unquote. The tenant, Alan Ganev, he slept on the couch when strangers would pay to sleep in his bed a decade ago. So this is not changing and it's not changing not because it's not known, but it's not changing because government actually doesn't care. And now we have seven families that are in complete devastation and mourning after having lost their loved ones to this massive regulatory failure. Also, it is worth noting that one of the Airbnb staffers who met with Quebec's tourism minister is Nathan Rotman. Nathan is going to be heading to Alberta very soon to help get Rachel Notley elected, reports the Globe and Mail. Because remember, kids, being a ruthless capitalist with a platform that is rife with exploitation and little local law enforcement is not at all incompatible with being a new Democrat. Now to national news. By now, you've likely heard that the Trudeau-Biden meeting was a total success. Lots of people were treated to an expensive, fancy meal for some reason, and Biden cracked a bunch of jokes, surprising everyone that he's still able to crack jokes. The two leaders also announced that they would close the border crossing at Roxham Road. This, of course, 
shocked many people who were on their way to cross into Canada at Roxham Road, but no one had alerted the most important people in this affair, the folks that actually cross at Roxham Road. But there was something about this announcement that was particularly surprising, and that was picked up on Twitter and then reported late last night by Marika Walsh at the Globe and Mail. The agreement was not cooked up at the Trudeau-Biden summit. It was agreed upon a year ago. That's right. Despite the fact that the safe third country agreement has been in court and even has been struck down, it is now in front of the Supreme Court, Canada and the United States agreed to turn migrants away from non-official ports of entry, just like they do at official ports of entry. They kept this secret because, says the U.S. ambassador, quote, it would stimulate a large influx of migrants trying to get into Canada before that change went into place. It was not in Canada's interest to create that artificial surge of people trying to enter the country. What passed this week were the regulations surrounding the agreement. It is wild considering how many times the Liberals have been pressed on their plans to change border policies, knowing that it was already done and just like lying. I mean, oh, can you imagine a government straight up lying and then inventing an argument like we're trying to avoid a surge as the justification? Anyway, the decision is gross and the Liberals are gross and it's not by accident that they hide these things from us. And finally, protests have erupted in Israel after Benjamin Netanyahu fired his defense minister. Protests were already being planned, and they're all related to proposed reforms to justice laws that will allow the government full control of the committee that appoints the country's judges. And it will become harder to remove a leader who is deemed unfit for office. You gotta love when politicians try to do that. <laughs> the BBC reminds readers that Netanyahu himself is dealing with a corruption trial. The former minister, Yoav Gallant, has spoken out against these proposed changes. He and Netanyahu are members of the Likud party. And just an aside, I did check to see if Yoav Gallant is from New Brunswick or Nova Scotia. P.I. He's not. <laughs> He's not. He just has the same last name as all you Gallants out there. Soldiers used water cannons against protesters, and it was pretty impressive to see the show of force in the streets last night, including at Netanyahu's residence. Gallant, however, is not a guy that necessarily should be celebrated. He was the commander during Operation Cast Lead in 2010. Pause. I've never known if it was Operation Cast Lead or Operation Cast Lead, so I'll just say that. According to Amnesty International, 1,400 Palestinians were killed during that operation. It was the deadliest and most destructive military campaign than any previous Israeli offensive. Amnesty International reported, quote, Israeli forces repeatedly targeted ambulances and medical crews, killing several medical workers while they were attempting to rescue the wounded and recover the dead. Over the same period, three Israeli civilians were killed and 10 Israeli soldiers were killed, though four of them were killed in so-called friendly fire accidents. The BBC neglects to mention this part of Gallant's CV, but it is a helpful reminder of how far to the right we are talking about with this disagreement between a man with the history that Gallant has, including probably having done war crimes, and Netanyahu deciding that he is not fit to serve in his cabinet. Those are your headlines for Monday, March 27th. I'm Nora, and I hope you have a great day and a great week.